Hello there. I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. Hello there and welcome to the Mandalorian Review Podcast, where today we are reviewing a Season 3 Episode 2, or as we call it in certain circles, Chapter 18 of The Mandalorian, The Minds of Mandalore. This podcast is brought to you by the Nerd Podcast Network and hosted by two charming chaps who you may know from Spark of Rebellion, the weekly Star Wars podcast that covers all of the latest news and keeps you bang up to date with all the happenings in a galaxy far, far away. And if you're listening to this over on Spark of Rebellion, it's business as usual. You'll find this episode within your podcast feed as normal. So a big shout out to all of our usual patrons and fans over there. People like Pascal, Denise, Sean, Keith, and all of the users over there. But maybe you're listening to this because you've searched in your podcast app for Mandalorian Review. And if that is the case, then we highly urge you check out Spark of Rebellion in that very same podcast app of choice. My name is Mark Asquith. I am the ever so slightly taller, ever so slightly wider compatriot of the following Mr. Gary Aylert. All right, my friend, how are we doing? Got your new specs on there, I can see. You wear them right, every mate. day, don't you? Keep These are my everydays. On. Yeah, every day is now. Clear mm. specs, clear frames. I thought it would make me look more like a potential Apple prospective employee. It turns out, no, turns out that was about 10 years ago, maybe 15. So I just look like, um, I just turn up to a library now and read to old people. Mm, It's one of my favorite pastimes. Can be rewarding, depending on what you're reading. Mm, Depends what you're reading. They don't mind. Who knows? Don't don't put yourself down there, mate. You're not that wide these days. I try. Well... Now that the weather's getting a bit warmer, and get out on the golf course a bit more. Do a bit more walking. Yeah. Oh, aye. Get that cardio in. Got to the gym three times a week again now. Finally got back into that. Yep. Getting jacked. Getting jacked. Yeah. Speaking of getting jacked, let's talk about the Mando. He's a big lad. Well, he's not, is he? But you wouldn't fight with him because he'd take us out because he's a bloody bounty hunter. We are going <laughs> to recap Season 3, Episode 2. Chapter 18, The Minds of Mandalore. And before we do that, what we do is we customarily, if you're new to the show or new to this kind of network, this nerd podcast network, we customarily run a recap of said episode. And we, of course, ask each other, what's been going on in our world of Star Wars before we get to the nitty gritty? So, Gaz, what's been going on in your world of Star Wars this week? What have you been up to? Catching up with the Bad Batch, mainly, because I let that slip a wee bit. I was about three, maybe four episodes behind. Mm. So I've caught up a little bit and I'm not going to say too much because I think you and I are going to review that. We've got a separate show as part of Nerd Podcasts to go into and deep dive into that as a series, but I'm not feeling it as much as the last season. Mm. I get that. If I'm being I get honest. That. It's a still good. couple of good episodes, mm. but I get that. Yeah. It seems like the, the non-canon-y non-canon-y the episodes that are not quite up there with including plenty of canon, like the mm. Creature of the Week sort of, you know, they seem a bit more, um, I don't know, just very irrelevant, easily forgettable. Otherwise, not too bad. Yes, catching up with that mainly. What about you? Mm, same, man. Been doing a little bit of um, 
a little bit of Bad Batch, but mainly on the week-by-week basis. I, I, I know we're going to do a review on this. There is the Bad Batch review podcast uh, that you can subscribe to already in your podcast app, dear listener. And uh, we'll be dropping those episodes into this feed as well for, for Spark Rebellion fans. But um, yeah, just a quick note on that one. I agree, it's been a little freak of the week here. Um, but there's been a couple of episodes like the one yesterday that were very much about like the mindset of the clones and that whole, you know, a good soldier follows orders, but actually Cody and Crosshair starting to question that because they're being just thrown uh, by the wayside with, with the Empire. You know, sort of messing with the Stormtroopers. And and, and, and so it's, it's been interesting to see that transition from clones to conscripts. So I've, I've been quite interested in seeing that. Um, well, that's not for now, but yeah, that's pretty much all I've done, man. I'm, and still been still been on the um, the Star Wars comics in uh, in Marvel Unlimited, which is nice. pretty sweet, my man. But let's get to the Mandalorian chapter eighteen, the Minds of Mandalore, season three, episode two. Finds our good friend Mister Dinjarin. He's traversing the galaxy to get himself over to Mandalore. Last week he nipped in, saw Bo-Katan. And uh, basically just said, look, I'm going to nip down there, see what the dealio is, get sorted out with the creed, get myself back in good standing. She's like, you're nuts. That's silly. The planet's not cursed. Right. We're all good. You're mental. All right. She's a bit disenchanted by it all. I think what's good about this episode, and we'll, I'm going to carry on that recap, is that we first see Mando landing on Tatooine. And it's the night of Bunter Eve. It's the night of the Bunter Eve, formerly of the Bunter Eve Classic, before the pod racers uh, were indeed banned by the Empire. And it was really cool to see this, man. I was spot- I mean, we saw all the bloody speeds and so on zipping around. And uh, I think it was, I guess it was Tatooine. We could see that that was. But it was really nice to see that it was Bunter Eve. And that was quite a nice little callback. Uh, we saw Pelly um, ripping off. Uh, a Rodian, like those guys get such a bad deal. Uh, ripping off a Rodian with the Jawas, you know, quite nice to see that. And then we see Mando basically land. We see Grogu do a badass Yoda Phantom Menace style bloody attack of the clones, whooping Count Dooku's ass flip out of uh, the Starfighter into her arms, which it, they, they seem to be dropping a few things to show that Grogu has developed now uh, with his quote unquote two years, TBC, two years with Luke, which was pretty cool. Um, Mando wants his IG unit fixing that we saw from last week, last week after it went all T1000 on him. She can't do it because it's a bit old school. So she gives him at a bargain price, quote unquote, none other than the most unreliable astromech in the absolute galaxy. It is R5D4 that we saw from A New Hope, the blowy uppy droid that sets off arguably this entire chain of events. <laughs> Good on you. You know, still working. Nice to see him. I just see him still working. You know what I mean? It's like Nicolas Cage of Star Wars, isn't it? Pops up now and again and you're like, oh, it's him. It's R5. That's good. It's nice to see him. And then I think, certainly to my surprise, we get to a self-contained, and it's this is interesting to say, right? The phrasing that I'm going to use here, a self-contained canon mythology progressing episode, which is really, really rare an episode that progresses a hell of a lot of mythology, but that is so self-contained that there's barely anyone else in it. And that is really rare. And we thought it was going to be a, uh, you know, go and fetch this thing, like a bit like a Gears of War game. Go and fetch this thing before you do the main mission. Go and fetch this thing. Go on. And it wasn't. It was straight to, we're going to Mandalore. I've got the R5 unit. As Din Djarin, I'm going to go. He's going to scout out the air to make sure it's not poisonous. 
We're going to go into the mines. I'm going to dip myself in the water. Someone's going to video it, probably do a selfie, send it to the armorer. I get the creed all sorted out. We're all square. Jobs are good. And landing on Mandalore, R5, of course, gets bloody kidnapped or gets disappeared by the big, uh, what they call Alamites or something like that. The big mm-hmm. naughty bloody aliens that just Din Djarin has to beat up when he steps out of his, ty- out of his starfighter, pressurizes his helmet because, of course, we do not know whether the air on Mandalore is indeed poisoned. And so the adventure continues. Now, what's interesting here is that we're, it's revealed that actually when R5 is recovered, we do find the air breathable on Mandalore. So Children of the Watch, Din Djarin's entire tribe, if you like, were wrong, which is fascinating. And Bo-Katan was right, which our good friend Mando states. But then he kicks off, he gets kidnapped by General Grievous's eye, by the looks of things, which we'll get to in a while. A robot that looks absolutely terrifying, straight out of Alien, absolutely badass, kidnaps him, tries to drain his plasma, and Grogu has to navigate his ass and go and get Bo-Katan over on one of the moons. Goes to get Bo-Katan. Badass force pushes one of the big guy aliens out of the way, which just shows how far he's developed. Navigates himself over there, brings Bo-Katan. They go and rescue Mando. And just as Mando has had all of the history, all of the heritage, all of the canon chats about Mandalore, and we start to see him start to question his side of the creed and start and Bo-Katan almost firming up her belief a lot more, Mando gets kidnapped underwater. Bo-Katan dives down in one of the most badass jetpack scenes I've ever seen. Drags him out, all while discovering a giant kaiju-sized eyeball, which belongs to a once-thought-extinct Mandalorian symbol, a bloody mythosaur. She pops out at the end, and you can see that both of them now, her in particular, have started to question her beliefs in Mandalore and her creed and the way that she... So this was a fascinating episode, dude. Um, Long recap, because there was quite a lot to unpack, and I know we'll get to some of that, but first thoughts, man. First thoughts, and do you know what? I'm going to actually ask you for your score up front this time. I'm going to ask because I think it's an interesting episode, and I want to get your score now and see if that changes by the end of it. So give me your thoughts. Give me a score. Okie dokie. Yeah, good recap, dude. I think um, my score off the bat is going to be an 8 out of 10 this one i think it's a a big turnaround from last week's chapter 17 where for me i think i think you liked it slightly more than i did last week's one but for me it felt like it was very much a um a, a giant recap and a giant setup for what's to come whereas this one was complete had a completely different vibe and feel to it this one and you and i were completely wrong <laughs> like you said in our theories where we assumed that the the culmination of this season would be the Mando arriving on Mandalore to finally bathe in the waters, get his redemption, everyone lives happily ever after, or for a little while, until the following season. But no, as you said, we're straight into Mandalore, straight into all of that stuff, which was fantastic. And uh, I think more than anything, it was the it was the atmosphere in this episode that made it an enjoyable watch for me. It was the it was the atmosphere of of being on Mandalore and in that city and and uh, and exploring and stuff, but also the the character progression between these two. So we we've known for a while now that they don't see eye to eye, and there's some tension there. But it's 
it's come down to the, both of them with their own eyes being exposed to the stuff that because they've never bothered to go there they've just both assumed according to hearsay and legend that the the planet is cursed or scarred whatever there's no point going there there's nothing there and you can't breathe yeah it's just it's just completely fooped but upon arriving there it's like actually there is life on the planet still there is stuff going on you know there there is this thing and when, one key moment for me was when just before um Mando goes into the water I thought he was going to strip off properly I was like here we go getting a little bit of uh bit of Pascal Pascal butt cheek going on but no when he starts to strip off and he goes into the water I was like right okay something you could just tell that something was going to happen here and then when she starts to read the the quote that's on the plaque as he goes in that's kind of reaffirming to her what she believes like yeah the mythosaur's just a just a it's an old wives tale you know but he believes it so just let him carry on and then as you said when she picks him up out of the water sees the giant eye and then you see the giant thing that was such a turning point not just for those two characters because now that's going to change their dynamic a little bit because it's changing their their core beliefs in a way more so for her but also it it just wraps up everything to do with that stuff within star wars as a whole really nicely because if you think about it one of the characters that were introduced really early on in the original trilogy you didn't know anything about him whatsoever and it was really elusive in terms of this symbol that he's got on his armor this mythosaur thing like what the what the frick is that it's like nobody knows anything about that stuff and it was always this um kind of tucked away story uh uh, story um or sort of narrative that was tucked away even more so perhaps than yoda and yodi's the yoda species and whatnot so to expose that and to give that some confirmation to everybody that yes the history of mandalore and of boba fett you know the, the original the og mando that we um that we saw back in empire to know it just gives it a bit of, of a bit of legitimacy i think to that whole that whole thing so i loved it for that reason dude i loved it for the atmosphere and the world building and and the canon and all that jazz. So an eight out of ten for me, dude. Yeah, I have to agree, man. It was, it was, it was like prime Star Wars, the whole thing, mm. from my perspective. You know, from the pacing was good, the cinematography was absolutely outstanding. Even the small choices, like the way they filmed R five through the reflection of the puddle. To start, there was no reason to do that except just to make it better. Just an extra detail that just made it much better. Um, I loved the character progression. I loved that they were both, you know, they, they, they both sort of coexisted with these differing belief systems like you mentioned. But both of them began to question their own and that sort of meeting in the middle that I think we're about to see, um, which I thought was really, really interesting because you've got... Um, you know, you've got the person who ruled Mandalore and not for that long. And she, you know, she sort of threw Satine under the bus a little bit and probably regrets that quite a lot. Um, and, the, and, and, and the former wielder of the Darksaber, but now you've got the actual wielder of the Darksaber, um, who isn't actually from Mandalore as such, but he's adopted into the creed. He believes that old school creed. And so the, there's a real nice meeting in the middle there that sort of, you know, can, can we build Mandalore? the people in the planet 
and, 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 you know, whilst avoiding the crap that came before, you know, make it stronger. Um, because I think that speech that Bo Katan gave about we were that weak from the infight and that the Empire just exploited it. Like, that was really good. Like, that felt like it was that linchpin of, well, this is, here's all the stuff that if we do this again that we can't do. You know, we've got to learn mm -hmm. to sort of all cut. So I thought that was really good. I sort of guessed that the Mythosaur would make an appearance from day one, like the second this episode started with the recap. But the way it was done, it was still badass. I was still, I wasn't surprised, but I was like, wow, that's brilliantly done. You know, I was, I was happy and I was impressed by that. Um, I loved Grogu's character development. I love the way they shot the mines and, and, and the, the cityscape. Um, and I thought that the new, that sort of alien General Grievous style droid, you know, the living tissue that had turned itself, looked like a Geonosian, to be honest. Mm. You know, Poggle the Lesser with the, the wings, the four wings coming out. The sort of, it looked like a Geonosian that had turned itself into a, a droid and, you know, gone down the Grievous route with the cybernetic enhancements. Uh, I thought that was brilliant. And I really enjoyed the fact that, um, and they, they sort of didn't make a big deal of this, which I'm glad about. It was just, it, it was, it was, it was just done um, because we know this inevitability, this conflict is going to happen somewhere down the line. Bo-Katan badassly used the uh, the dark saber in stark contrast to when Din Djarin used it. He was terrible with it. He's still not mastered it. And then she just gave it back. Like she just put it on the side. She was just like, that's, you know, and that's how much she believes in the, 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 the warrior kind of style, the warrior creed. Um, I honestly can't think of anything that could have been better with that episode, dude. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it a nine because I just, yeah, if in fact, I'm going to give it a nine and a half because I think I don't see how it's any worse than like the big Luke Skywalker episodes, but it didn't have Luke Skywalker or someone to push it. It didn't need it because it was that well done. Do you know what I mean? Cool. Yeah. That's why I was so refreshed by it, man. Um, I was going to yeah. ask you about the the dark saber scene actually because do you think that's a bit of foreshadowing to perhaps the leadership mm -hmm. um passing back to Bokaton from from Mandalore later on because if you believe in the whole whoever wields the dark saber mm -hmm. rules Mandalore sort of thing it's it's evident that not in the future but right now Din Djarin just can't do it he, mm. he struggles to lift it even sometimes and he's not not that great, but she was badass with that. I'll tell you what, Rachel Morrison, the director, she needs a she needs a, a pint buy-in and a high five. Buy her a pint. Know. We'll get you a pint. Oh, it was brilliant, man. And really I think good. you're right. I think it's I think it's the foreshadowing, but I, I wouldn't I'm starting to wonder whether it'll almost be ceremonial. You know, almost like mm. a uh you know almost like a Rocky and Apollo at the end of, of Rocky Three, <laughs> a world fever. You know what I mean? Oh, and right. it's yeah. So it's it's it, I I imagine because Bo-Katan's lost all of her followers because they don't believe in her because she hasn't won the lightsaber back in combat. These guys are coming close together, and I would imagine they'll start to build Mandalore up. I would imagine there'll be a Children of the Watch versus every other Mandalorian kind of you know we mm. believe this, you believe that, and I wonder if you know Din Jarin and and, and Bo-Katan are going to be like the talismans of each side, and they're both sort of saying, look, we can we can make this better but each side sort of needs to see that combat a little bit. So I wonder if it will be a in front of other Mandalorians combat, a big war out between the two of them to kind of, you know, just get it out of the system. Um, and even a big war out between Mandalorian faction, one children of the watch and the followers of Bo-Katan and everyone else, like a big mass brawl. But 
you know, will it come down to the Mandalorian Din Djarin versus Bo-Katan? Certainly not a fight to the death, but certainly not pulling pun- punches. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah. so that everyone can see that that's been done and whoever wins is the true leader and it's clearly going to be Bo-Katan, you would have thought. Or they see that Din Djarin develops that skill and becomes the natural leader of Mandalore and Bo-Katan endorses him. You know, something like that somewhere in there. Um, yeah, for sure. But I'm interested in it. Mm. And it's an interesting direction to take, isn't it? Because with something like the Bad Batch or um, just more mainstream Star Wars, we were we were saying very early on when we started this podcast, um, sorry, um, Spark of Rebellion a couple of years ago now, we were saying that oh, when, when the Mandalorian comes out, are they going to rely on tentpole characters? Are they going to rely on Skywalker saga esque stuff to drive the story? And it was it was evident um, pretty early on that it didn't need that. It was a good enough, well written character to to stand on its own two feet and go off and have its own adventures and so on. But then just kind of dip in and out of the mainstream canon when it needs to. And I think it's an interesting direction to go in now with the whole Mandalorian thing because. It's just, it's something that's, like I said earlier, has always been on the periphery for so long, just tucked away. And you knew about, with, with with the Mandalorian coming out and exposing more of that, that story, you knew about, you knew more about, without reading books and stuff, I mean, just by watching the show, you knew more about Mandalore and the different factions and the creed and, and all that stuff. So now it's interesting that with three seasons in now we're starting to get into the third season and we've now it feels like we're leaving behind that need to talk about people like luke to talk about other characters within the saga and stuff like that now we can really focus on okay what's the because it does feel like the storytelling is setting you up for what's the future of the mandalore and the mandalorian creed and, and all of that jazz and um it would it's it's almost like it's almost like in years to come, will there be will there be spin-offs from The Mandalorian? It, it, it's got that weight to it now, it feels like, because it's got such great storytelling and performances. I'm just so glad that we're not talking about, oh, Grogu, do we need to send you back to Luke? Luke might come and pick you up at some point. We don't need it. The only bit of fan service, I guess you could say, in this episode is, as you mentioned, the old, um, the old droid um, uh, that we see on Tatooine, R5-D4. That was the only real bit of let's dip into the main the main story a little bit. Let's anchor this back to the original trilogy, dude. So I'm just fascinated by the direction that they're going in um, because it could be quest fetches, right? It could be Mando doing stuff for Ahsoka. It could be him doing stuff for, you know, a possible rebuilding of the Jedi Order. Who knows? It could be stuff like that. But that would be too, be too easy in terms of storytelling, right? Let's just make everything about that. So um, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see as we go through the series, is there going to be some push and pull with these two? Or is it going to be a, okay, we need to team up. We need to like Mandalorian super team this and to try and get Mandalore back to its former glory. Or are they still going to be divided as in like, well, you didn't believe in the mythosaur, but now you've seen it. So has your view changed? Well, no, <laughs> you know, because so mm. much, you know, there's so much water under the bridge sort of thing. So, um, yeah, man, I'm fascinated by this whole Mandalorian thing. And it's almost become not about Star Wars at all. It's just its own little isolated pocket of 
of Mandalore goodness. Yeah, talking of R5-D4, have you seen the Easter egg? Um, uh, little snippet about that, which I knew nothing about. So um, apparently there was a comic book series that came out back in Legends days. And um, apparently this little droid uh, intentionally blew its stack in order to sacrifice itself so that R2 could go and meet Luke. Mm. And it was called something like the the Skippy Jedi droid or something like that. How amazing is that, dude? Like all those times you've seen A New Hope and you've just seen a, that droid explode because it's rubbish. But then what if, what if you know, what if it knew that R2 had to get to Luke to get to Obi-Wan and so blew itself up? Oh, man. It's something, it, it was, um, I think that's in a certain point of view. A New Hope as well, a take on that, where he he, he blows himself. He, yeah, it is. It yeah. is. And I think in the, in the Skippy... The Legends one is like a force-sensitive bloody droid or something, which is hilarious. <laughs> but he's not in a certain point of view. It's for a different reason. He, I think it, it's. I think this story is set from his perspective, and it's, it's him sort yeah. of worrying about it and like, okay, I'm, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because he's been talking to R two. You know, what I mean, he's in the Jawa fucking transport talking to R two. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> I love stuff like that. What I like about that fan service is like that is fan service done well. It's almost. I know I talk about it a lot, but it's that anti-Rise of Skywalker thing where if you need to, right, you need a droid and it can be any damn droid to advance the story. There is no harm in putting that droid in because it doesn't take away for the people that just think they need a droid, but it adds to the people that think that's R5. It's almost Mm. like the, why create Exegol crap? Like you had a thousand planets you could have done. You literally could have used any, you could have even just used like a, an obscure planet, like an obscure planet or even in a system mm-hmm. or, you know, there could have been something that was inconsequential to the other people that it didn't matter to because all they knew was we need a planet to move this story forward. But where the fans would have gone, oh, that's okay. That's a little connective tissue. And I think it's startling really because it, it's... It's a bit like DC at the minute for me. It's like the movies have got no idea what's going on and really what the fans want. Whereas the TV shows are absolutely crushing it for the most part. Uh, And I think DC is the same with that. You know, their movies are a little bit, they don't know really what's going on. But like Superman and Lois is not just the best Superman TV show. It's the best overall Superman since... Christopher Reeve, like the whole, the whole, it being a Superman story, it's like ripped straight from the nineties comics. Like every aspect of it is comic book and unashamed and really well done. And it's, it's the same with Amanda. It's like, this is clearly Star Wars, but it's bloody good Star Wars. And it's, I feel like this season as well, they've really lent into the practical effects a lot more. Like the aliens this week were the same as last week, but less shiny. They were clearly practically done. And, that was, um, I don't know. I don't think I noticed it as much in in, epi- in season two. Sorry, uh, but it, and I'm sure it was there. But it feels like they've found a balance now. The volume stage does its job, mm-hmm. but let's get a guy <laughs> in that outfit, yes, and let's get five others in mm-hmm. that outfit, and let's make our five do the thing. Are you, you know? talking about the Alamites? Those, kind yeah, of, the Alamites, but also yeah. I think even the the, the Grievous esque droid mm. like that were clearly animatronics 
you know, for a large portion yeah. of it. Um, that looked scary as hell, though. Didn't it, man? It was brilliant. And then draining the blood, like they could have just, mm-hmm. it could have done any, it could have just done anything to him. But instead, they're like, "Now nah, I'm going to make it drain his blood." For no, it didn't advance the story. It was just to be freaking weird and scary. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed that, man. Really, yeah. really enjoyed it. Yeah, same. It was um, because when you saw it in the first iteration, it was in this big kind of exoskeleton crab thing. And initially I thought, okay, that's just another big, another big robot. It was more terrifying when it was in its kind of slim down and it had like these almost like metal feathers on the back and just the way it moved and stuff. But more, more than anything, it was the, the organic eye inside the, the robot head that did it for me. That's like, yep, that's creepy, man. I can imagine the designers over at Lucasfilm were like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do like old school Doctor Who. Let's do the parents enjoying it, but the kids ducking behind the cushion sort of thing. And that came off perfectly. It was just bang on old school sci-fi for me, that bit. It was very cool. Uh, what did you think to the 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 sort of dystopian looking derelict Mandalore itself? Because if we, if we were to fast forward to either Bo-Katan or, or Din Djarin <clears throat> or both of them together trying to rebuild Mandalore, that's a big old job, right? That's not just let's get a wheelbarrow and a couple of shovels. That's like the the entire planet is like that. So did you think that was um, pulled off relatively well? Because I just assumed that the planet itself would be, I don't know why I thought this, but it would be like not in too bad nick. There'd just be like a few rocks sort of crumbled around here and there, you know, a bit like a sort of modern war-torn city, really. But it does, it just looks completely fooked from top to bottom, dude. But that was well done. It was. And I think we were talking about this a while ago. Like, I can't remember seeing The Purge properly. Like, I know we've we've heard about it. It being like post-Revenge of the Sith. You know, it, <clears throat> excuse me, all went to little pear shapes after the Clone Wars because of what Maul did and took over and... Um, the old Vizsla crew kind of doing their thing and getting in bed and becoming like that puppet ruler for Maul. And like, that was sort of the end of it because the empire came along and it was like, we need Beskar or whatever. We need whatever. Mandalore stayed fairly neutral. Satine's gone, like just fucking wipe it out. You know, we've not, I don't think we've seen that. Um, I don't think so. So to see the scale of it, it was, it was like as well, someone had gone just, if you've got those Man of Steel Krypton drawings, yeah, get them out. Get them out. <laughs> Let's do this. Right, we need, a, <laughs> we need a war-torn world. Like, what's the architecture like? And what are these rocks like? It looked very Kryptonian, the way it was, you know, the, the landscape did, of it. Didn't it? Remember it did, they landed the ship? Yeah, had these big angled, almost crystal-like yeah. rocks and stuff, yeah. And they were even green. Like, they have a bit mm. of a green hue to them. Um, so, no, I, I thought it was well done, man. I thought it was... Um, to sh- to sh- I mean, they, they clearly did it where, you know, you enter the atmosphere and they did that twice. They did it with the M1 Starfighter and then they did it with Bo-Katan's ship, which again is drawn straight out of the Clone Wars, which is pretty cool. Um, and to show the scale of it, you know, you're entering the atmosphere and you see, as far as you can see, it's desolate, it's destroyed. And obviously you get the capital city as well. I thought it was, it was good to show the scale of it. And I, 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 th- I think it adds to the to the notion that Mandalore is a people and a thought process and an ideology as much as it is a place. And, and it's, 
you know, that's where you potentially start, you know, and you re revitalize one city. I mean, we've we got to remember that this is the Star Wars galaxy. There are giant ships, there are giant droids, there are excavators, there are droids that can build things like that. To, 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 to rebuild something of that scale compared to what it would take us to rebuild it, you know, in universe should be far, far easier, should be far, far quicker because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I think they had the chance to be able to do that, to go crazy, to go deep, to say, look, this has been completely wiped out. Like the purge is a genuine purge. It's not like they wiped out like half the Jedi. They purged the Jedi. There's like a few of them left in hiding. And it's the same with Mandalore. It's like it wasn't just let's do the capital city and steal the mines. It was we need to wipe the entire thing. So I, I think I think they, it was a wise move to do that. Which I think then leaves like Bo Katan's state of mind feeling a bit more obvious. You know, it's a bit clearer why she's a little, you know, she's a bit miffed about everything. And she's sort of, you know, she's living on the moon and, and, and whatever. And she's sort of, there's these pockets of Mandalorians around. It's, it's, um, you know, it's not like half of them could just go back and live there straight away because regardless of the atmosphere, there just is nowhere to go. Um, so yeah, no, I enjoyed that, man. I, I thought it was really well done. And it was, I think what's interesting about that is I wonder if we'll see why everyone thought it was such an uninhabitable planet. You know, why did that come about? Was it empire propaganda, which it could because we know they're good at that. Was it like, is there something not nefarious, but is there something like the children of the watch being a bit naughty somewhere? Mm. You yeah. know, is it a bit of a, oh, you're a bit of a cult job going on. You know, you've got to be with us or you, you're not. And man, don't go back to Mandalore. That's big time out of the question. So it, it, there's a lot of, I think it gives them scope for a lot of interesting storytelling. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And perhaps that's why they've, they've perceived this direction of storytelling for this season. Because there's only so much you can do with... Um, with Mando as a character at this point, there's only so much you can do with him because we've already had two seasons and a really good episode in the Book of Boba Fett that's progressed his character to the point now where what do you do with him? And I'm wondering that for season four as well. Like, what do you do with him if he um, if he even makes it back to the armourer to say, and does this even count as well, dude? Does he have to do something? So although he's technically been in the water but he was rescued by, you know, someone that the Creed wouldn't view as a, as a, as a legitimate Mandalorian. So the fact that he just fell in <laughs> or got pulled under and then rescued, does that count as bathing in the waters or did he have to do something, say something? I don't know. So if he goes back to the armor and says, look, technically I was in there. Am I now redeemed? What do they do with season four with Mando? Because, Surely that surely everything from after this point of redemption had got to be about Grogu. Because Grogu's still a little bit of just a hanger honor at this point, right? Like you said, there's a, a little bit of development for him. There was a really cool bit where you can tell that he's paying attention to to Mando as well, where they're kind of doing a little recce around the planet. Mando saying, Look, you need to learn how to navigate charts and stuff. That moon over there is that. This is where we are. And then Later on, when Grogu hops back in the ship when he's being chased by the creature, he taps on the little icon, on the little planet so that R four can um, can whiz him back to Bo-Katan. So that was very cool. So I just wonder if um, if this is like peak Mando we're going to see at this point. What do you reckon? 
Yeah, it's interesting that because there's a number of ways, isn't there? I mean, there's the whole, you know, the armour and the children of the watch basically just still decry Mando and, you know, does he become an outcast and he's like, actually, no, I am Mandalorian. You guys are, you know, whatever, that's you, but I'm still Mandalorian. I'm going to go tell everyone I'm going to, we're going to go rebuild Mandalore. Like, do you, does he become an antagonist to him and vice versa, to them, sorry, and vice versa? Um, and so there's that kind of little bit of nuance there. And you're right with the Grogu side of things as well. You know, the, um, the, like you said last week, the story was very much about him in the first season. You know, they wanted him for cloning purposes and that's died a little bit, but that's, it's very active within Bad Batch, you know, very active. And I just, I can't see that being an accidental bit of timing. Um, so I, I, I wonder what's going to go on there. You know, are we going to see Pershing coming back? I mean, Moff Gideon has to come back. He's, you know, he's too big a character and uh, Giancarlo Esposito is such a big presence that I'd be shocked if he wasn't back at some mm-hmm. point. Um, so, it, it, yeah, I, I think it, it's an interesting challenge they've got because there's almost a twofold story now. You rebuild Mandalore, but also let's deal with Grogu. But then what do you do with Grogu? Like, He's chosen not to be a Jedi. That's cool. So, you know, it has to be the cloning thing, unless they create a brand new story arc for Grogu out of nowhere. But that sort of seems silly because this is all, we've not finished the cloning stuff. You know, that's sort of just gone away. We saved him and, and whatever. Like, why did the Empire want him? Um, my, for my money, at some point, they'll try and tie it in to um, the Emperor coming back, which can fuck off. <laughs> Yeah, they can't do that again, surely. They will. That'd be crazy. I mean, not to, I don't think he'll come back again, but I think they'll tie it back to, you know, in the Rise of Skywalker, that like, you know, it just came back out of nowhere. Like, no, 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 it wasn't out of nowhere. Because we know about Mount Tantis. We know about in the Legends continuity. It was all about cloning that post Return of the Jedi era. Um, I, I just feel they'll try and shoe, not, maybe not even shoe on it in, but just try and, that will be the story, the overarching story. You know, because right. the First Order's out there in the unknown regions. You know, you've got Ray True. Sloan and, and whatever else. They're out there in the unknowns um, doing their thing. Um, So I'm not sure, dude. I'm not sure where they'll go with it. But I am, I've got a lot more faith than I had last week because they, I think the Mando's done this a little bit, actually, over the first two seasons even. Yes, there's been quest episodes, fetch and carry episodes, but it has got major storylines in and done a lot quicker than we thought very often. And I feel like they've done it again, which I'm grateful for. They, like they seem to progress the story a lot quicker than we expect, which I, I'm a fan of because I hate those shows that are like, yeah, we'll do four episodes of filler. And I'm sure there will be filler. But, you know, it feels better. Touch wood, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And some shows you can really tell when it is filler as well. It's like... Has the Mando done that? I think you're right. The Mando hasn't really done that. Where even some of those fetch questy type episodes haven't really felt like filler too much, because you're still getting a bit of an insight into Dinjarin's character and how he's viewing everyone around him and his kind of jaded view of what's going on in the galaxy. Um, all all he's known up until well, when we first saw him, I guess is this is the way and alongside that 
and make a few coins with the old bounty. You know what I mean? It's that's all that's all he's known. So to to have his his tunnel vision sort of expanded out the more he sees of the galaxy and the more he grows attached to Grogu and the more that he um has this sort of to and th- to and throw with to and uh, back and forth sorry with Bo-Katan you get those insights as well so it's been cool for that reason so throughout this season I think where do we go from here then do because you and I said that mm, perhaps we'll he'll go off and do this thing and then we'll do that thing and then it will culminate with him finally reaching Mandalore and the redemption thing but you know, as you mentioned, we've kicked off that bit really early. We're already at Mandalore, already done the the mines and the water and stuff. So we've got another, what, uh, six episodes now? Eight episodes left in the season. So where do we go, man? What's gonna, what do you reckon is going to happen from here on in? Do you know what? He's, <laughs> I sort of want to stop predicting these because everyone always gets them wrong. No one predicts <laughs> these right. Doesn't matter what podcast you listen to or what outlet you read on. Everyone gets it wrong because... Um, the writers are smarter than us at writing. That is, you know, it's that simple. Um, well, I, 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 apart from Rise of Skywalker, we could have done a better job. <laughs> but don't, don't get him started. I, I, I imagine it will be the revitalization of Mandalore, starting with the revitalization of Bo Katan and Din Djarin. Either meeting in the middle or being so wildly apart. I don't think there's like. Uh, I know I just said there'll be meeting in the middle, but I don't think there's any middle ground to get. I don't think it'll be just a, well, there's water under the bridge. You know, I never want to see you again. We're all good though. I think it'll either be, we are working together or we are enemies. You know, I think it's that, that kind of vibe. Um, I think we'll see a lot more Mandalorians. I think that's come out anyway from John Favreau. I think we'll start to see, you know, infighting within the Mandalorians and that will be the catalyst for Mandalorian regaining a little bit of glory under Bo-Katan and maybe Din or whatever. Just because it feels, it's a nice standard storytelling trope, you know, where you bring the factions together and you let you see them doing the same things that led to their downfall. You know, it's almost like the hubris of the Jedi, like the second Jedi Order couldn't do that, like don't do that, you know? So it's, it's a similar sort of vibe. So I think we'll start to see a little bit of that. Um, and I do think, I think we're going to see at least one episode that ties into Ahsoka and Sabine and Ezra and a few others. Something else in this season will set up something else. I've got no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I think we'll I think we'll revisit the cloning stuff. I think someone will come for Grogu um, because they hear about him uh, and and they hear about the revitalized Mandalore that's got this Yoda-looking little thing knocking around with it. You know, mm-hmm. you you start making these galactic moves to revitalize what was once a really important planet in the galaxy. People are going to hear about it. And the little green guy stands out. So it's going to get out. You know, I think that's maybe what's going on. Um, I do think we'll see less big cameos as well. I don't think we'll see Luke again. I don't think we'll see that in this season. I don't think we need it. No, we don't need that. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, the most we'll see in terms of cameos is probably some decent people, but they're just lesser, um, sort of further down the pecking order, I guess. It's got to be Sabine, right? Sabine has got to show up at some point because she's the other wild card in terms of Mandalorian-esque sort of character adventure, I guess. She's the other rogue Mandalorian-style character out there in the galaxy. So she's got to throw a spanner in somewhere. Um, 
And I think, yeah, the the bigger dudes like we've seen before with Luke turning up and maybe Ahsoka at a push, maybe Ahsoka. Um, But that's just as a bit of a Lucasfilm putting all of their cards on the table to tell a coherent story between some, you know, these other, these other shows. So I think to set up the Ahsoka, the upcoming Ahsoka show a little bit, here's a few little nuggets of what's going to happen with that, that we can, we can intertwine into, um, into the narrative here. So yeah, I think you're right, dude. I think, um, I'll tell you what, chapter 20 might be a good one though, mate. Dave Filoni's in on the writing duty with Favreau. Directed by Apollo Creed. Yeah. Dude, that is, yeah, you know. Hey, yo, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) What Apollo? Here we go. I truly wish that Dave Filoni calls Carl Weathers Apollo on set. <laughs> like, as if he believes that that's his name. I, I love shit like that. Like, and Apollo's like, you know, that's not, my, you know, that's a, another, ca- you know, I'm playing this character for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, Winkler phoned back in the day. Weathers, can you play this guy called Apollo? All, it's, Dave, <laughs> it is just the same. My name's Carl. Carl? Yeah, Carl. No sweat, Apollo. Let's do it. Do you know what I mean? I just, I wish that mm. was true. And if it's not, in my head, it's head cannon. Um, it's a bit like triggering it from Only Falls. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> Rodney, yeah. All right, Dave. Um, uh, yeah, I also, hope so. I think that will be also, the thing, man. Whenever whenever Apollo Creed asks anyone for a favour, nobody does it. They're like, no, 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 no. No, no I genuinely need a favour. No, no, no. We know where Do this it. goes, mate. I'm not. I'm not Do putting it. gloves on. Nothing. Do it, Dave Filoni. It'll be fine. Like, like, yeah. You can <laughs> imagine him walking on, like, right. Listen, Apollo, you get to direct one episode, right? <laughs> one episode. So you can see, it's like episode one is like. Is this mine? No, Apollo. You. No, it's not. No. <laughs> yeah, but you direct great. I'm a di- great director. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then the next episode. No, Apollo. No. Get, <laughs> get, get, get. And then you can, like, you can just imagine it, like watching all the dailies, all the stuff that he's filmed, but he's not really been filming it. All around the cameras is just showing Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> They're all gathering around to watch the dailies, and he's like, this is me back in the day. In yeah. Rocky. And he doesn't call, ironically, he doesn't call Stallone Stallone. He calls him Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I work with this guy called Rocky. Called Rocky. And Dave's like, you know that Sylvester Stallone, that you're just an actor, Apollo. He's just an actor. He's just an actor. <laughs> oh, watch this bit. Watch this bit. I, I caught Rocky right here in real life on the chin. Like, watch it. Oh, oh I got him. Oh, Dave, I look at me back then. It's too bad. We got to get old. <laughs> like, out. Get out, Apollo. <laughs> I've had enough. You can do episode 20. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I want that to be... So- when we meet him at Star Wars Celebration, that I am literally going to call him Apollo by accident on purpose. <laughs> and he'll beat me. He'll beat, he'll you. beat You know what I mean? Got to do it. in itself, though. you got yeah. a beating off Apollo Creed. Beautiful. While we're doing the, the photo that we've paid for, it's like him I'm just... just like like the back end of Rocky Three, that <laughs> yeah. that freeze frame at the end. <laughs> yeah. Ding ding. God, love it. Oh, um, Good times. I reckon that episode with <laughs> that Falone is written, 
uh, like that was the Ahsoka one last year and the year before that it was a big mythology one as well but mm. I would be absolutely shocked if we don't because all the Mandalorians are coming back together we think that um, the Darksaber plays a part in this I would be shocked if we didn't see Sabine Wren just because she's with Ahsoka finding Ezra Mm -hmm. And she's got direct ties to this entire storyline as the wielder of the Darksaber for a certain time. I Correct. would be shocked, man, if we don't see her in that episode. Mm -hmm. Probably will be that one, because Filoni's like the gatekeeper. Not in a bad way, but he's like the no. dude you go to for all that stuff. So, mm. yeah, I'll be up for that, mate. Wicked, yep. wicked. All right, let's stick a pin in it there. This has been The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 2, The Minds of Mandalore, Chapter 18 Review. It's always a pleasure, my man. I'm going to uh, revisit the recap from earlier. Have you changed your score as we finish up this episode? Are you still sitting at an 8? No, I'm going to go up just half a point. I'm going to go up to an 8.5, just to be pedantic with the point fives. I, I think, um, yeah, just as we've talked through, oh, not just the story what we've gone through, but some of the potential storytelling to go through the season and um, some of the cool stuff with Grogu. And it's just, it's been a cracking episode, this one, dude. Um, I, I just had a relief as well after last week when I thought, oh, God, we need to pick this up a bit already and they really did pick it up as well going straight to Mandalore so yeah an 8.5 for me dude love it I'm sticking with my 9.5 let us know what you thought by just hitting us up on Twitter at rebellion underscore spark and if you're listening to this episode in the Spark Rebellion feed thank you so much for tuning in as always and if you're new to the Nerd Podcast Network, listening to this in the Mandalorian Review Podcast feed, or indeed you have stumbled across Spark Rebellion, welcome to you, the new and much appreciated listener. We will be back next week with a review of The Mandalorian, Chapter 19, Season 3, Episode 3. We'll see you then. This is the way. Later, guys. Later, later. It's been good to talk through The Mandalorian. I love doing this Um spin-off show do you want to call it from spark of rebellion i guess uh, within nerd podcasts it's, it's it's so cool just to deep dive into into the mandalorian so yeah good as always to talk through that stuff we'll be back next week as mark said for the next chapter review and until then take care of yourself and may the force be with you always <laughs>